Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. We had our Vineyard Conference um, just uh, a little while ago, uh, earlier on in the year, and, uh, and one of the, there's lots of great messages and so forth that happened at, at that um, conference, but one of them in particular uh, from, like I mentioned, David McGregor, who you just met on screen before, uh, it's the David McGregor Day, um, who's our Vineyard uh, Director, uh, National Director over Vineyard Churches, and, uh, and uh, he, he delivered um, a message on one of the evenings, and I'll obviously let him explain it, but it was just really calling us back to some of the core things that that are important about us as a vineyard. And so we're going to watch that message uh, together, and then we're going to go back into a time of worship after it. But we just think that it, it, that it presents some really powerful and precious things to us uh, here at Coast Vineyard, but across our movement of vineyard churches. So we thought that it would be a really meaningful pivot uh, for us to, to make uh, and to hear and to, and to watch and so forth. So... Would you please welcome to the stage, to the screen, David McGregor. <laughs> and so one of the things that he's done is he's given us gifts to be able to pass on to the next generation. In Māori, uh, there's this word tonga. And tonga means treasures, valuable things, precious things that are handed down during, uh, through the generations. Do you have things like that in your family? Things that have been handed down, they're precious. Actually, it's interesting because Lloyd, our national director, I'm very jealous of him because he's got some bagpipes that have been handed down. Isn't that cool? I'm Scottish, I would love to have some bagpipes. Look, if you ask him really nicely, he might not play them for you, okay? Actually, it was interesting because I talked to Lloyd the other day and he said that he'd had quite a distressing event that happened. Um, and uh, he, I think he was a bit shaken by it. He said in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, uh, a neighbour came and just banged on his door and yelled and screamed and just, he was foaming at the mouth and he just seemed to be, he just seemed to have completely lost his mind and uh, sort of frightened Lloyd a little bit and, and uh, the guy just, you know, yelled and screamed and then he went away and I said, how did you feel, Lloyd? And he said, well, it was two o'clock in the morning, but he said, fortunately, I was already up. I'd been practising the bagpipes. <laughs> So I think he's got over it now. So we have things that get passed down through the generations. And, but, but when we get things passed down, they don't always stay the same. You know, there are gifts that we have in families. And so you may see a gift that somebody has that gets passed down. You see it coming through the generations. Now, uh, all of our family are quite musical, except Liz and I. Oh, Lizzie's, oh, sorry. Lizzie's very musical as well. She's learning the piano. She's learning the piano, but... When our kids... Sorry, Lizzie, do you want to come up and play the piano and show everyone how good you are? <laughs> Honey, this is your big opportunity. <clears throat> 
So our kids are pretty talented and actually uh, one of our youngest son has actually got a degree in music and, and is doing stuff. But I think it might have come from my dad. My dad used to play the violin and he apparently won lots of awards and all these different things. And um, people used to say, oh, your daddy was such a talented violinist. So I think that is that has come down through the generations, this musical gift, but it changes when it gets passed to the next generation. Do you know that? It doesn't stay the same. So my dad played the violin, but none of my kids play the violin, but the musical gift is still there. Actually, when we were packing up my dad's house, he found his violin. He was 99 years old. He hadn't touched it for about 40 years. And I've got just a wee clip of him here, just on his porch. There we are, 99 years old, playing his violin. It's all out of tune. Yeah, it is all out of tune. (laughs) So there he is. Now just imagine this musical gift has actually passed to the next generation. But but I want to tell you, people could be talented, but it is completely different. It's completely different. So my son Josh, just recently, this is a true story, has just leapt onto this viral thing. Some of you I know about it. Leapt onto this viral thing where he's done this music clip and quite seriously, it's gone viral all over the world. I'm not exaggerating. Within a couple of days, there were hundreds of thousands of hits. No kidding. He was mentioned on Time magazine. He's been mentioned on Rolling Stone magazine. He's been mentioned on Vanity Fair all in a week. Do you want to see the amazing song that he's done? Do you want to see... Just a little clip. Here it is. (laughs) Now, I just wonder what my dad in heaven is thinking of his musical gift that has just been been handed down. I'm thinking, oh no, what's happened? What's happened? So the musical gift has come, but it often comes in different forms. And I feel that we have these Battens that have been handed down through our generation. One is through the, 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 the church from Jesus' time, it's been handed down. Others have been handed down through our movement, through John Wimber, uh, through other people that we've had, Lloyd and Vicky Rankin and other leaders we've had. We've got these batons that are handed to us and they run their race and they do as well as they can. And then we come alongside and we, you know how relay races work. We grab the baton and then we take off and we do the very best that we can as well. And so today what I want to do is I want to just talk about five tonga. Five treasures, five batons that have been passed down. Now remember they do change, but I want to just talk about five things that I think are very important and precious to us. And the first one is intimate worship and prayer. God has given us as a movement, it's this baton. And it first started off when our Um, fathers and mothers, the Wimbers, the Fultons and others gathered together as people that were completely burnt out and they just sang simple songs of love to Jesus. And God came and touched them. And the difference was they'd always sung songs about Jesus, but suddenly they started singing songs to Jesus. And they found that as they started to sing that the presence of God would come and miracles would start to happen. 
And I remember when I first heard vineyard songs and vineyard worship singing to Jesus, I still remember what happened in my heart. It was like nothing I'd ever heard before. I remember the presence of God. I remember God speaking to me. I remember emotion coming to me. And I I thought to myself, I could stay in this place forever and ever. Now, friends, our music has changed. The way that we are creative has changed. But the gift that has been passed down is a baton that we take, we hold on to it, and we say, how do we run with this thing so that we can pass it on to the next generation and not let it go? You know, even still in our church, even 25 years on after planting our church, I still watch people come into our church as the the worship is playing, and I watch them the presence of God come onto them. And I see them start to weep and I see things happening before anybody's preached, before anybody's done anything. Just in the worship, the presence of God comes. And we must never, ever, ever lose that. Do you know what's incredible? You may not know this, but uh, our worship and our movement has been going for probably about 40 years and it has gone everywhere in the world. It is in lots of different nations. It's in lots of different languages. And people, there was a whole phase where God did a great move with our worship, very different worship to what we do today. I found this week clip um, on the internet, and this is a Catholic revival meeting. This is Catholic charismatics with the Pope singing one of our earliest songs. Just have a wee look at this clip of one of our early vineyard songs. So this is written by Carl Tuttle back in the 1980s. Thousands and thousands of Catholic charismatics singing the songs that we started our movement off with. And you know, we don't sing that song anymore. I don't think we've ever sung it in our church ever, to be honest. Um, Our songs sound a lot different now and so that they should, but we take that baton that God's given us and we pass it on and we say, what can you do with the gift and the creativity that God has given you? And I'll tell you the other thing that, that goes with it is prayer. Our movement has been started in prayer. Our forebears, our spiritual fathers and mothers have been incredible prayers. Martin Luther said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than being alive without breathing. And I'll tell you a thing that's pretty amazing. Uh, We have the privilege of knowing Bob and Penny Fulton, who were two of the original uh, founders there. And we've stayed with them a number of times. And do you know what? They get up early in the morning and both of them go to different prayer meetings every week. Um, You know, we're often late risers when we're on holiday. We get up about eight o'clock. Penny would have got up at six o'clock and go go to a prayer meeting that she's been going to with the same people for 30 years. And we wonder why the movement has just spread across the planet. They are people of prayer. Wesley said, John Wesley said, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. And it's so true. Nothing changes except through prayer. And I want to challenge us as we go into the next generation, as we plan for the future. We need a new generation of worshippers, artists, creatives, prayer warriors, intercessors for our future. We've been handed the baton from our forebears. 
We have it ourselves and we're ready to hand it off. And God could be calling you. I'm sure he's calling all of us to be the people that are going to take the baton and do with it what God's calling to do. So that's number one. The second one is a culture of discipleship. That's another thing that's been handed down. When I first was in a vineyard meeting, or the vineyard team came to our church, I said to somebody, who are these vineyard people? I've never heard of them. And they said, they've got a guy called John Wimber that leads them. They said, he's a big guy that wears flowery shirts. Hello. Um, (laughs) He's a big guy that wears flowery shirts. And the thing about him is he's an amazing discipler. He'll have a conference and he'll only speak once or twice and he gets all his protégés, all the people he's mentoring, he gets them up. He teaches them how to do it. And I thought, wow, what an incredible guy. He's just not hogging the limelight to himself. He's taking seriously the whole thing about discipleship. And Bob Fulton, his brother-in-law, who I mentioned a, a, a moment ago, is one of the most incredible disciplers I've ever met. Bob is 82 and he is still gathering together groups of young people in their 20s and mentoring them. We, our nephew went over there and stayed with my uh, son a few weeks ago and uh, I met him just during the week and uh, he said he had a good time. He said, actually, I went out with Bob Fulton. I said, oh, did you go and ask to meet? He said, no, Bob came up to me and said, would you like to go for a coffee? And as Bob does. And then he'll ask him about his spiritual life. He'll, he'll, you know, Bob just takes people under his wing. Absolutely incredible. And this is what it's about. We have an incredible history of uh, discipling. You, you don't need to have been in the vineyard for very long to know that there were conferences and seminars and training things all the time, teaching us how to do things, taking people under our wing. And of course, it's the Great Commission. The last thing that Jesus said to the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these newest disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And friends, that's what we're commanded to do. We never stop discipling. We have a vision statement, which I told you about a few moments ago. As a movement, we also have a mission statement. You'll see it on the website. Our mission statement is being disciples, making disciples. So there's two aspects to that. The first one is watching out for me. And the second one is watching out for others. The first one is really important. It is so important for me to be a disciple of Jesus. And Dan mentioned that today, this whole thing of formation. I can't be much good to anyone or anything or to the mission if I don't know how to follow Jesus myself, if I'm not digging a very deep well, if I'm not growing close to him myself. And you're going to hear a lot more about this because this is a thing that's really rising up around the world and in our movement as well. You know, we need to be people in the spiritual gym uh, to be able to to build strong spiritual muscles, really learning how to pray, learning to fast, learning to hear God speak, taking times of silence, learning to meditate on Scripture and be transformed by God's Word. We need to worry about the inner part of ourselves so that we have strength to do the mission. So that's being disciples and then making disciples. Our mission, friends... When we become a Christian, it's not just to hold out till Jesus comes, you know, just to go out in a holy huddle and just sort of have lots of fun. Our mission is to make disciples and gather people around us. 
And one of the things that I worry about in our movement is that we have a lack in many of our churches of young people, teenagers, and children. And it means what we're doing is we're not doing a great job of discipling, of of passing things on to the next generation. And I want this to be a prayer thing that we have for all of our churches. Because friends, if we don't have the next generation down, we're a dying church. And so uh, Lizzie has been doing a lot in the garden just recently. She's um, been checking around all of her plants. And unfortunately, some of our plants have died. Actually, traditionally, a lot of our plants have died, to be honest. But um, Lizzie's taken control and, and a lot fewer of them are casualties. She does very, oh, she's given me a scowl. Okay, I'm, I'm in for it. Just as well that I've got all these here. Otherwise, they'll be coming at me one by one. By one. She says, three strikes and you're out. <laughs> Um, But what she's been doing is she's been going around. She says, I think this is dead. Oh, I think that one could be dead. And she's looking to see if there's any new growth. She looks and sees, is there a little bud? Is there any hope for this thing? And friends, what we've got to do in our churches, we've got to be making sure that there are new buds coming up because that is our future. And if we don't have the new buds, we've got to pray. We've got to do everything we can. And look, sometimes one of the things we need to do is we need to invest money. One of the things I've discovered is anything you put money towards tends to grow. If you have no youth, get a youth pastor and say your job is to find some young people. Or get a kids pastor and say your job is to find children. And I want (laughs) to not make children, but find some. Find some families. But you know what? Within our movement, there are people that are looking for kids pastors and youth pastors, and they're hard to come by as well. And tonight I'm going to challenge you, could it be that God's placed in your heart to foster the next generation? Could it be that God's put something in your heart where you do one of the most rewarding jobs that there possibly is? Do you know that the most likely time that people are to respond to Jesus is between the ages of 4 and 14? If you want to have a really successful, flourishing ministry, then go in and look after the 4 to 14-year-olds. Actually, I'll take it right up to 18 because people are incredibly responsive at that age. So what's the need? We need deeply formed disciples for our future and disciple makers and youth leaders and kids leaders for our future. That's what we need as a movement. Number three, the third tonga, the third treasure, the third thing that we've been handed down is the power of the gospel of the kingdom. Isn't that awesome? A chill goes down my spine when I say it. Uh, Matthew 9 verse 35, Jesus went through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And what happened afterwards? There was healing, every sickness, every disease amongst the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the, true, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Jesus went preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Signs and wonders happened Things change, but Jesus said, who's going to come after me and do this? And this is the call that goes out to another generation. Who's going to come and bring the gospel of the kingdom? You know, when the gospel is preached, 
The poor get helped and justice comes to a place. We heard a wonderful testimony from uh, Alexander and Jilly Fenter today. If you didn't hear it, you've got you've to download it of reconciliation in South Africa. That's what happens when the gospel captures somebody, somebody's heart. The gospel of the kingdom changes lives. It changes all society. But do you know what I love about that term, the gospel, the, uh, the, the gospel of the kingdom? It usually has the word power before it. The power of the gospel. And the Greek word, our church knows it really well, the Greek word for power is dunamis. From where we get the word dynamite, and it means power, miraculous powers, remarkable miracles. What it means is that the gospel is powerful. Built within it is the ability for miracles to happen. All you need to do is talk about Jesus and the words are packed with power. All you need to do is read a scripture, any scripture, and if you believe in it, if you tap into what the Spirit is saying, there is power, there is dunamis, there is, there is the ability for supernatural things to happen when you preach the gospel. Billy Graham the famous evangelist was known for having very simple messages. He would just tell simple stories. He would just preach the gospel. It was incredibly basic. I was telling our church last week, my dad told me that he was in Scotland in the 1950s and Billy Graham came out and all the old Scottish Presbyterians were very cynical. They thought, what will this American you know, teach us? Scotsmen, you know, who have correct doctrine in the Presbyterian church. What, what can he teach us? And they were very cynical and dad went along with an old Scottish Presbyterian minister to a big stadium and Billy Graham preached and was about to do the altar call and this very old Presbyterian minister leaned over to dad and he said, that sermon couldn't have converted a fly, he said. <laughs> and then watched as Thousands and thousands and thousands of people went up at the end of the altar call. It wasn't the gifting of a man. It was the anointing on the word. It was the anointing on the, 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 the gospel, the simple gospel message. And Billy Graham said this, wherever the gospel is preached, no matter how crudely, there are bound to be results. And friends, I just want to challenge us again. One of the most precious things we have is the gospel. Amen. It's so precious. And, and yet so many times we don't preach it because we become a bit embarrassed. Oh, it's so basic and, and you know, people won't understand it. It's a bit weird. It's a bit strange. And Jesus dying on a cross and paying for our sins. But we forget that it's got power. It's powerful, and, and we can say it in a bumbling, mumbling sort of a way, not even, as Putty was saying, not even maybe really believe what we're saying, but people get saved with this gospel. You don't need to be that smart. All you need to do is trust Jesus because the, 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 the gospel has power of its own. And friends, so many denominations are watering the gospel down. They're trying to make it more palatable, and they think by doing that, that more people are going to come in. But you know what happens? The less you preach the gospel, the fewer people come. And there are so many churches that are empty because we are trying to water it down and make it palatable. But I'll tell you what, the gospel is palatable to those who want to receive salvation. So we must never, ever, ever water it down. 
you know what? All through the ages, we've had this baton passed down since Jesus, generation after generation after generation. And people have died for this. They've died for the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, came down. He died on the cross to save us from our sins so that we would have everlasting life. People have died for that. All they needed to do was to say, I don't believe that stuff, and they would have stayed alive. People have died printing the gospel of Jesus. They've been burnt at the stake because the gospel has been so precious. The least we can do is treasure the gospel and preach it faithfully and not be ashamed of it. And I want to challenge you. You know, it's become a bit unfashionable to do altar calls in churches. It's been a bit unfashionable to invite people to respond to the gospel. But I tell you, we need to make uh, invitations to people, whether we do it personally or how we do it. You know, it has a power all of its own. We do it most weeks at Grace in some way. Actually, it was funny, a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching to the young people about dating and sex and romance and all that sort of stuff. I did an altar call at the end, and a guy probably in his 60s came along. He came up the front. He just didn't know anything about God, but he came up and he said, I heard all that stuff, and I realized, you know, why my life has been so incredibly messed up. I want Jesus in my life. Isn't that incredible? People get saved hearing about sex. It's amazing. (laughs) So I'm I'm challenging you. Wherever you go, whether it's in your churches, whether it's one-on-one, tell people the gospel because so many people don't know. And you'd be surprised where people are that don't know the gospel. I was at a gathering of church leaders a couple of weeks ago and there was a couple there that are church leaders. I won't say what church they are, but he made a couple of comments uh, during this meeting and I thought, wow, they're they're bizarre comments. So I went up to talk to him and we had a bit of a conversation. The The more I heard from him, I thought, wow, this guy's definitely not saved. And I said, do you believe in life after death? He said, no, I definitely don't believe in that. And I, he said, said, what do you believe about life and after death? So I started to tell him about Jesus and the cross. He said, I've never heard that stuff before. And so I started to, to tell him the gospel. I would love to say that I led him to the Lord, but somebody said, right, stop talking, stop having your cups of coffee and come back. So I'm praying I'll get another opportunity. But you never know who needs to have the gospel of Jesus. I want to challenge us. It is the thing that is the difference between our churches flourishing and not. It is so precious. It is the life that God gives, the, the, the gospel. And friends, if you want the easy way out, do Alpha, because that is one of the greatest evangelical tools that we have, uh, Alpha. I reckon all our churches should be doing Alpha. It's anointed. Do you know it has its history in the vineyard movement as well? John, you'll hear it at the beginning of Alpha. John Wimber said when he met Nick, Nicky Gumbel, he said, you've got evangelism all over you. I believe that your ministry is going to reach through evangelism the whole world. And look what's happened with, with Alpha. And Nicky Gumbel freely says that. When we preach the gospel of the kingdom, it leads to social justice. It leads to ministry to the poor. You know, remember, the gospel is good news to the poor. But we've got to preach the gospel well. We've got to understand what we're doing And this is where I want to make a call. We need better trained people within our nation. And we've got a wonderful Tonga, wonderful treasure in our movement. It's called Vineyard College. Can we give a shout out to Vic Francis and Johnny Rankin and those guys, they do a wonderful job. 
We're very grateful for them. It's got a, a great history that goes back to Mark and Cindy Brickle. And I said it earlier today, we're entering into this new partnership with Laidlaw College, which is going to open us up to a whole new uh, area of, of people being able to get further training in different things. We're very excited about what it's going to, 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 to mean. We'll give you more details. But you know what? We need a whole new generation of academics. We need a generation, we need some PhDs and masters in theology. For those of you who've heard Alexander, he's one of our theologians, but when Alexander's gone, who have we got? Who have we got in this country? Where are the people that are training up to teach us? And especially with all the stuff that's going on in this nation, all the, the social things that we have to navigate, where are our theologians that are going to help us? I want to challenge you, especially young people, would you consider studying theology? Would you consider uh, uh, studying Christian leadership? Would you consider um, studying for the sake of our movement so as young people come along, they learn how to uh, understand the Bible, understand church history, understand ecclesiology, which is, is, is the, the church, how the church works and different things like that. So we're going to give um, more details about that, but I'd love to challenge you. Would you study uh, when you do theology with uh, Vineyard College, you're going to be doing ladle subjects and it's going to open you up to a whole new realm. And uh, we have got funding from the government to be able to do it as well. So who's going to be our New Zealand equivalent of Tim Keller or N.T. Wright? Who are going to be the people coming up in our nation? 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And God is calling us, I think, uh, to start now to have people that are going to lead us in the future. So what do we need for this? We need preachers and teachers and theologians and evangelists and missionaries for the future who will boldly explain and preach the gospel of the kingdom. Isn't that cool? Alexander liked that anyway. I should be preaching to the South Africans and think instead. Just kidding. Um, what's, what's the fourth one? The fourth one is a passion for church planting. We're a church planting movement. You know, if John Wimber had just decided to have one church in Anaheim, California, well, he wouldn't even have that now, would he? Uh, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. We can delete that later. If, if he decided to just have one church, then it wouldn't have spread out to the whole of the rest of the world and we wouldn't be sitting here tonight. We'll be uh, doing a series on Netflix or something and not having as much fun as we can. Uh, but, you know, when people form a church, when people start a church, they are starting a new body of Christ. And, you know, Jesus said to the disciples, go and make disciples. Do you know what they went out and did? They went out and planted churches. And the rest of the New Testament talks about all the different churches that they planted, all the different groups. Because Jesus, the vision of Jesus for the whole of the world, for the salvation of the world, was to plant churches that become the body of Christ so that the community has a place to come in and find Jesus and get saved. And you know, many of us who are here today have done this crazy thing when we're younger where we've gone out and planted a church. And you know, I sometimes, you know, you look back on it and you think, oh my goodness, I've heard some of those things. People have got scars and they tell horror stories. I wouldn't have it any other way. 
We've had so much fun. Yeah, we've had down times and yeah, it's been hard. But if you were going to commit your life to anything, I would want to commit it to being part of planting a church. Because you know what? It has been a tremendous blessing to our family. We've made so many incredible friends. Uh, by, by bringing people to know Jesus, we see whole generations that have changed. Two of our daughters-in-law, we wouldn't have if we hadn't uh, planted churches because they've met people. And so now we've got these gorgeous grandbabies. So, and great daughter-in-laws as well, of course. Now, people say, oh, it's really hard work to plant a church. I want to put up a photo of somebody who's one of my heroes. Uh, there's Bob and Penny Fulton. Uh, many of you know what happened in Anaheim. Um, and so when Anaheim came crashing down uh, just recently, Bob and Penny said, well, we just can't leave these people by themselves. Let's go out and plant a church. Bob is 82. Okay? So if you can't do it in the 30s or 40s, wait till you're 82 and then do it. So they went out. They planted a church. This is Bob preaching in the church. They raised up musicians. They raised up elders. They raised up a board. They got the, the church going. There's over 100 people going, and they handed it over within a year. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 82 years old. Now, admittedly, he's had a wee bit of experience before that, so maybe he had a bit of a head start. But do you know what? We, we need to have more church planters. We are getting to the end of the, the first generation of people who planted uh, churches in New Zealand, and we don't have many people that are rising up to plant churches. This year, I've had two churches ring up and say, hey, our pastors are leaving. Could you send us someone? And I have a wee laugh at the other end of the phone. And I say, uh, actually, no, we've got nobody to send you. Do you know Why? Because we're not raising people up to be able to be the next generation of church planters. And I want to challenge you, there are always within a group people that God is tapping you on the shoulder and saying you could do this. Now you may not necessarily be the, the pastors, you may be part of a team. You know, there have been teams that have gone out all across the nation over the years and planted wonderful life-giving churches. And I'm hoping that God will inspire some people to say, I want to train up for this. I'm open to where God might send me so that there's a, another generation of people that will come to know Jesus because we took on this challenge. So what do we need? We need a whole new generation of church planters for the future. And the last one is number five. And I love this one. Number five of the toanga, the thing that we don't want to lose, is the presence of God. Amen. We do not want to lose the presence of God. Didn't Moses say to the Lord, you know, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go forward from this place. And our movement has been characterized from the very early days by the supernatural presence of God. You know, I grew up in a Presbyterian home. My dad was a Presbyterian minister. I never felt that I experienced God at all. I felt somehow I just sort of like there was such a blockage over me, I could never find him. And so I went to church after church and I saw other people engaging with God and, and nothing ever happened to me. I felt there must be something terribly wrong with me. And I was going to this little church and one day they had um, a group of people that came from this American, always be a little bit suspicious if they're Americans, eh? Hey, putty. And they came from this church called the Vineyard, apparently. <laughs> And um, 
They started ministering, but it wasn't like anything I'd seen before. It wasn't sort of weird and wild. It was very gentle. And there was no hype. But they just invited the Holy Spirit to come and people started getting healed all across the room. They were having these words of knowledge and and it, it just blitzed my mind. I thought, can God do this today? Is God moving in such a way that he can actually speak to people? Does God heal people today? I'd sort of thought that he'd stopped doing that 2,000 years ago. And yet here were all these people around the place that were getting healed and being touched by God. And that night as I came to the church and I opened my heart for the first time, I experienced in a very powerful way the manifest presence of God. And it totally changed my life. I have never, ever been the same again. And because it happened with a group of vineyard people, I associated the two things together. Now, I understand God does work in other movements. I've heard that. You know, there are other places he moves. That was a joke. That was a joke. But I associated the presence of God with the vineyard movement. I'd never heard about it before, but I started buying these books and tapes and videos trying to find out about the the vineyard because that's where I had encountered Jesus. And it totally turned my life upside down. The Bible came alive. And I remember going to my work. I was a radio announcer at the time. I looked around my workplace and suddenly for the first time I saw the pain. I saw the lostness. I saw people living lives that were completely empty. I remember thinking to myself, if you could encounter God the way I did last week, I know that your life would change. I know that it would just make the difference. And I remember thinking, I said to God, God, I want to spend the rest of my life helping people to encounter you so that their lives can be changed the way you've given me the grace to to have an an encounter with you. And friends, this is one of the great treasures that God has given us as a movement. As uh, John and Carol Wimber and the Fultons and others have gone throughout the world and then it has spread worldwide and it's come down to today with Putty and uh, the Venters and, and, and others, you know, everywhere. One thing we love is the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. And friends, we must never lose that. We must never, ever lose the presence of God because otherwise we become dry, we become cynical, we become mocking. And the Christian church is is full of people that are like that. And we must never become like that. We want to be people that are desperate to encounter the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20 says this, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Dunamis. And we can expect that when we come to any meeting, when we ask the Lord to come, there is going to be power that's present for God to be able to change people's lives. So let's quickly go through our tonga, our five tonga that we're going to pass on. Number one, let's say it together, intimate worship and prayer. Number two, a culture of discipleship. Number three, the power of the gospel of the kingdom. And number four, a passion for church planting. And I love the last one, the presence of God. We mustn't lose those things. They have been handed to us. We've got to grab them, we've got to run with them, and we've got to pass them on. Thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. 
Enjoy the day and be blessed.